Say, so, so drop anything today? Did I drop anything today? A little bit, yeah. I may have dropped something. I uh, I may have dropped a sculpt that I'd nearly finished, <laughs> which was annoying. Yeah. Um, Oops. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was that was not fun. So basically, I, I'm sculpting these pieces for the prosthetic event, which is not long now. Uh, it's not this weekend it's next, coming. Is it next next weekend. It's next weekend. Yeah. So yeah. that's scary. So we're getting there though. I've finished all the sculpts pretty much today. But yeah, I just had my sculpting stand and I've got like these two, they're kind of like window stays, you know, that I, I bought some window stays to to support this, this stand. And I thought I had them both tightened up and I unloosened one and the whole thing just went whoop and flattened out and the thing went doink across the desk. And uh, I went, oh, nice. yeah, so <laughs> keeps you on your toes. Could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. So, um, so I repaired that, but it's fine. So I managed to finish off those sculpts today. Well, Neil Morrill had sculpted them. I was just tidying them up. So basically how it, how it worked is I did the life cast here in my workshop. And then uh, I sent, I, I, I pulled a quick plaster out for me to clean up a master mold. And then the next day basically packaged up that silicon head cast sent that to Canada to where Neil was, Neil Morrill. He then got out a copy and then roughed out the sculpt and pretty much, you know, finished it as far as you can before floating it off. Floated it off onto like a, a biscuit core and then sent it back to me. A time over making the cores and all that kind of stuff. So I've had some fun this week making some, I, I call them collapsible cores. Is Neil coming over? To- yes, he's coming next week. He's going to come. I'm going to pick him up from the airport and then uh, he's going to stay with me for a couple of days. Um, hopefully I'll have the pieces out by then. Otherwise... I'll have a, a jet lag dude helping me out, um, and then we'll um, yeah we'll go up on Friday night, I think, up to Coventry. So yeah, it should be fun, man. But uh, reminiscent of the Monster Palooza gig. Yeah, hopefully this time I won't leave the fucking pieces uh, back at the workshop <laughs> to send you back through the best LA traffic to pick up some pieces, which you'd think I would have thought, having travelled them all the way from England. Uh. Uh, via Texas, you would the think. The rough and tumble life of a big-time makeup artist. Oh, uh. Fucking idiot with no no brain. That was horrendous because what happened was is I had the I had the the molds that I'd finished, but I didn't have time to run the pieces. So what I did was I took the molds with the sculpt still in them to Texas, where I was staying for a week, and I was in um, brick in the yard. Uh, I, 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 uh, and Mitch very kindly let me um, make the molds, uh, finish the molds there, drill them, open them up, clean them out, run the pieces there, and then I took, I left the molds with him, took the pieces to LA. So this whole convoluted process, only for me to fucking leave them at uh, Aaron and Mike's house like an idiot, and then you had to run back. Um, we went on at length about this in the in the podcast about it, but Jesus, what a twat! So that wasn't fun. That was an exciting day. It was. And I was just like, oh, this is the worst feeling. Like having, I was like, no, it can't end like this. But um, anyway, you managed to get them in time, thank God. So that was fantastic. So uh, let's not do that again. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. But let's let's do Monster Palooza again. Mm. Well, we had so much fun there. It was really cool. Oh, by the way, I, I, I posted your badges today. So you should get those Sweet. in the next few days. Um, they're really, really cool. Uh, more, more on that later. Um, but yeah, um, uh, yeah. So, so this we are basically I've been making these collapsible cores, and I haven't really done 
many collapsible cores like this before. So I thought I'd try them the way I wanted to do. And um, yeah, Rob Freitas messaged me some really, really good ideas. I was like, mm, and I'd already done one side. And I was like, I wish, you know, I'd, I, I thought of what he suggested, which was really cool. So um, I'm going to try them on the next one. I'm really excited about collapsible cores. I mean, hopefully these will work. I mean, if they, if they don't, I'll have learned an awful lot. But um, I'll have to post pictures about how, how these work. But these are pretty basic way of doing it just pouring out resin on one side i mean when you think about it as is the way with rob you kind of read it and go yeah why didn't i fucking think of that um you know because my idea was to basically pour one side tilt the to head at an angle um it sounds more complicated than it is it's really simple the trick is just to get it at the right angle sorry the correct angle to pour this resin because obviously being a fluid it will find a natural flat back so i tried to tilt the the mold at the angle that would give me the best kind of you know optimum fill and basically i flooded it with f40 resin which is a a really nice um uh, blue fast cast it's it's really good high quality though it's similar to the 1630 that you guys have over there but we don't have any bjb yeah, really hard, really nice. You mix it up, but you've got a decent working time with it. Flooded that, and then when that set, I left it overnight so it completely cooled down before I did this. Popped it out, and then I dremeled holes in the back to sink in some uh, magnets and, and dremeling keys. Then carefully placed the, the, the thing back and pulled the other side and did the same on the other side. And then basically used a piece of wood to hold them apart while I gel-coated the inside with epoxy. So the two sides of the face are in fast cast because they're really quick to do and then it was in epoxy but overall the whole thing probably took four days because i left things to heat up and cool down and i did an epoxy interior which you know is a very slow process mm -hmm. but um it's been really nice but i've had some really nice chats with people florist has been in touch as well just really nice like you know because i've been posting on instagram how i've been going you know people are chipping in with tips and stuff and it's really nice that it, i love the fact that i you know I'll, I'll talk about what i'm doing i'll show what i'm doing and other people kind of explain things and it's sort of like oh this is so nice that you know i've got you know pe people are watching what i'm doing and, and chipping chipping in and it's like this it feels like an ongoing conversation it's a nice thing and i like i like instagram for that that you can kind of you know show what you're doing and then it, again admittedly this is something i don't know a huge amount about with collapsible cores so i'm welcome to any suggestions and it's yeah. lovely lovely to see all that they they are pretty cool might not be a bad uh topic for a tutorial at some point <coughs> yeah was well, we're thinking about we've um, we've got an idea for, for our next for a simple one yeah well that's the thing i think it's simplifying i mean there are certain i think one of the things is like explaining like the whole reason to do collapsible cores because there are ways around it obviously um because my normal way of doing things is to flare out stuff as much as possible because i think it just saves a lot of hassle mm -hmm. um because i've seen people make collapsible cores and then when, you know they spent four or five days doing it it's a nice nice core and everything and that's that's great but sometimes you go yeah but a seam could be you know if you only need two pieces out of that mold you could probably seam it in half a day do you know what i mean you, you've spent five days to make something that's avoided at half a day's work that doesn't seem like logical sense right but there's and a certain you'll, and you'll never use it again no and there's a, there is a certain amount of pride and beauty in making something unnecessarily wonderful um did you see uh was it um um uh, prosthetic renaissance stuff that who did the the heidi klum makeup and they put these fantastic yeah yeah pictures of the mold the collapsible mold they made for the the halloween makeup they did on Highly Come this year. And I didn't just, see any of those pictures. Oh, God, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, there's a little video clip of them assembling their collapsible core, which is much more beautifully made. Um, yeah, so it's just, oh, it's just, uh, it, I mean, I can understand why you would want to do it because when it all works and goes together, it's absolutely magical. Um, 
But yeah, the whole idea is that of that on YouTube? Cool. Uh, no, I think it was on Instagram. If you look up the ProRen Instagram account, I think you'll see it on there. I'll have to I'll have, have to check that one out. Let me make a note of that. see those. ProRen. Because they always do these really nice um, Heidi Klum Halloween makeups because she likes to do Halloween properly. Just, uh, well, those guys do great work anyway. They do. It's really, really, really nice stuff. Um, inspirational. Uh, I've just written down that pause on there. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so yeah, so the the whole collapsible core thing. Um, I mean, if you're not familiar with the collapsible cores, the whole point is normally, you know, you mold something, you have the mold, the core, and the mold, and then sometimes if you get more complicated sculpt with undercuts or something like a full head or a hand or you know something like that you may do the mold in two halves um but sometimes you need to collapse the core so like hands are a classic example if you imagine a hand with the fingers sort of splayed out you know the the distance between the thumb and the little finger is much wider than the wrist so trying to get you know a glove off a hand without ripping it can be tricky so it's nice to i'm just saying this out loud for everyone else who's not familiar with it i know you know what they are because you wrote a few books about the fucking subject, but, um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, you know, I've done, I've done a fair few hands. We've made like limbs break down for, you know, getting body suits off of things, but, um, it's also really, really nice if faces. you want to have something that's going to be completely seamless. Yes. Where you can go, you know, fill it, fill it from the inside and, mm-hmm. and then pull the core out and you have no seam to, to have to fuck with. Mm. Well, it just makes more demands of you at the molding end. But it's a really mm-hmm. good idea if you've got something really high end or um, something which, you know, you've got, if you say you're going to make like 50 or 60 copies of this makeup and they're seaming on each one, then you've committed to 50 or 60 sets of seaming jobs. Whereas if you make a mold in such a way that you don't have the seams or they're on the inside, you don't see them and they're not they don't need to be patched that makes a lot of difference but then you look at something yeah. like um i remember i think it's issue one or two of makeup artist magazine where they um interviewed rick baker and they were talking about the nighty professor stuff and you saw pictures of the molds i remember i think i think it was the magazine and uh <clears throat> you know it was a plaster mold <clears throat> and i remember they they'd extended the neck to account for the shrinkage but also the mold the mold had a seam straight down the middle straight down the middle of the chin and they just had really good seamers who patched that seam so you didn't see it um but there wasn't a collapsible core on that and you think oh maybe there was but so so it does, it's not always necessary do you know what i mean um or desirable yeah. necessarily but it, it's it's i wanted to just push the boat out a little bit on this one and get out of my comfort zone and try something a little different i had an idea and i was like yeah i think this will work and i'll find out in a couple of days whether i've overstepped myself <laughs> Not Keep my fingers time. crossed. Thanks, man. So that should be cool. But, <clears throat> but yeah, that was the F40 resin and the epoxy. And the epoxy I was using, uh, I used some Epo Paste 400, I think it's called, that I uh, got from Neil's Materials, which was really, really nice. Um, a lot of these pastes can be quite stiff to mix. It's basically like, it kind of imagine like a stiff paper mache kind of stuff. It's really... Uh, but this stuff mm-hmm. is really nice. You put the, 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 the catalyst in and you mix it in with your hands. Well, gloved hands. Um, and you just basically smash them together and squeeze them until they're one continuous color. And it was just like, I guess like stiff, but wet mashed potato. It was that easy to use. I was really impressed with it. Um, it takes a good 24 hours to set up though. So that's the trouble with epoxy is it really is quite slow by comparison. If you're used to polyester like I am. But, Does it get pretty um, liquidy? It doesn't How get does liquidy. It spread in? No, do you, uh, you, it, risk of, you spread of it with your hands. Yeah, 
Yeah, you just basically, I put in two gel coats just to make sure I had a really good, you know, coverage. And then basically I, you, you mix it up in a bowl. I did like a kilo at a time. And I think I used about one and three quarters kilos in each mold. So like, you know, about three pounds for each, each mold, the face piece and the forehead, which was all flared out. And, um, yeah, you basically squish it up. Imagine hamburger meat when you're making patties. It's almost that kind of consistency. So it's very easy to smash okay. into the corn. So I mix up like, you know, walnuts. I mix up a kilo of it. I grab like a small handful and then push that into the, the recesses and all the, all the deep areas first just to cover that. And then I just sort of roll out a burger patty size and then make it about a half inch thick, you know, 12 mil thick, and then sort of smash mm-hmm. that down and just pat it down and then do the next one. And it's pretty easy to not get air bubbles, to be honest, because it's so soft. I was quite impressed. I've used... Sounds kind of like working with uh, the Freeform Air, mm. the epoxy dough that Smooth On has. Very similar, very mm. similar. But Freeform Air is much, much smoother and much lighter as well. I don't think as it's as hard. Um, so I would be wary of using it where there's a lot of uh, suction and you'd have to use a lot of leverage to open the mold. But, well, two things. One, you could do mm-hmm. that really Rob Freitas technique. I mean, I don't know if he'll appreciate me referring him to that technique because I don't know if he came up with it, but I associate him with it. You know, the one where you put the, the clamps on, the bits of wood, and ease the mold open that way. That right. way, you don't really need any direct pressure on a single point to open the mold. Um, that would probably be a better for a mold using freeform air. But the other thing you could use, is it freeform sculpt, which is the slightly more robust version of freeform air? It's kind of like a, a stiffer yeah, mix. Think, mm-hmm. You could use that first around maybe the edge where the screwdriver would go. And then the rest of it can be freeform air. Do you know what I mean? So it's only those stress points where you'd be actually, you know, using a screwdriver to lever it out. But yeah, that freeform air stuff was really good. So um, I was quite impressed with that. Um, I've done, I keep talking about this, but I've got to actually edit it. And I think we'll get around to it this December. Um, we did it nearly a year ago, a lass called Helen McKellar, who runs, um, she, a little company is Mango Effects. And she'd done this head sculpt of a Cyclops, really cool Cyclops she did with a Don Lanning class. And, um, she wanted to mold it. I mentioned this before, I think. And I said, oh, well, she was afraid to mold it. She didn't know how to mold it properly and was worried she'd mess it up because she'd done a nice job on the sculpt and kept it damp kept the sculpt damp for like months and i said well if you bring it down if you don't mind us video us making the mold so i can you know we can put it out there that'd be fine so she was like yeah that's cool so so we videoed the whole process so that's a video i need to get out. but that i used um, a bit of epoxy a fair bit of epoxy i used epoxy for everything but i experimented on it with a bunch of the different smooth on epoxies so i used smooth on uh What's it? The epoxy coat gel coat, which is really, really nice. Yeah, epoxy coat gray I love that stuff. It's so nice. They have they they have a red one. They've got red, white now, and and the gray. Are they all the same thing? They're just uh, different which, colors. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I I we used that I think with the gel coat and then uh, backed it up with a layer of uh, the freeform sculpt. And then in deep areas where we needed more volume filling, I used the freeform air, like the interior of the mouth and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I think we laminated um, over the edges with fiberglass. It's been nearly a year since we did it, so I need to get that fucking video sorted. But but yeah, um, so that's cool. I, I haven't had a huge amount of experience with epoxy, but I've done hundreds of uh, polyester molds. And the process is very similar. It's just, you know, obviously much, much slower. But I kind of like the fact that you're not rushed with it. You know, it's quite nice to not 
to say, oh, today I'm doing the gel coat and then in the morning I'll do the backup stuff. And then, you know, you just set aside half an hour every 12 hours uh, to, to, to make it. So it's not actually that much working hours. It's just the time it takes to, to fully cure and harden safely. It's, yeah. And it's a bit less toxic than polyester. Yeah, it's still pretty – I mean, you know, you still want to wear protective I mean, you gear. still need good vent- – yeah. Yeah. You need ventilation and, and gloves, but – it's not going to bring you to your knees. No, and it just doesn't stink the house out afterwards, you know, or the, the workshop afterwards for, for months and months. Because I know when I've been, even when I've been in workshops where I'm not in the mold room, but my bag, I take it home and in the morning it just stinks of polyester resin, <laughs> you know, just because it's being near it. It's absorbed all the smell. That's not good. Um, but yeah, it was kind of fun. So I'm, I'm excited about this. So yeah, two of these molds I'm making for the event. Two of them are in this um, resin, this uh, polyester polyester uh urethane resin the f40 um and then the rest are going to be in epoxy weirdly though with these these um the molds i made f- that are in f40 the epoxy and um, for fuck's sake the urethane the f40 urethane i didn't run out but i i had like three cans and i used two of them on these molds and i had some leftover space and i didn't want to use the third one just to fill it out if you know what i mean mm. so because i had yeah. like a can Share between two molds twice, so they each had a can each, but done in two layers. I thought I'd top it up with some other fast cast I had, some some leftover fast cast, and I just filled it out with a bunch of um, polyfibers, which is like urophil, I guess, a similar kind of like a like you know like a fibrous powder to pack yeah. it out, and then I put that on there, and then I mix up a little bit more generic fast cast with a bit of pigment in it, uh, and to, to to make this the top smooth. So it's had about three different resins in it, but the first two were the f40 but it was just kind of fun to kind of experiment with. i'm feeling that hubristic about it i think it'll be fine but we'll find out when we <laughs> should be fine yeah but it was just an experiment to see how that would work but um so that's what i've been doing today it's been a busy week oh and i spent a couple of days on set we did a make make up for a tv show uh which was a bull cap which was fun they're always they always still scare the crap out of me a little bit and and day one there were a few little because it was the first time i'd done it on this guy this actor and we, you know, we and his costume was quite tight, so it rubbed a bit on the neck, which was always a drag. Um, and weirdly, I'd stuck the cap down with um, a silicon adhesive, but I have I have found, and I don't know why, because I knew this from before, because I, I found this out in Game of Thrones. But I I, I only really want to stick down ball caps using uh, acrylic glues now. I think uh, my my preferred is Beta, yeah. beta Bond from PPI, Beta Bond Plus. I think it's That's fucking good stuff. really good. It's got a bit of a weird smell. People always say, oh, it smells a bit funky, but I like it. I don't mind it. It smells a bit lavendery it's, to me. It's kind of perfumey. Yeah, I, I kind of like it. But it's weird how like... But then I like the smell of foam latex. Yeah. <laughs> I love the smell of foam in the morning. <laughs> but it's weird how like, if you get prosade out, no one says anything, but mm, five times out of ten... Someone will say, oh, what's that smell? Or that smells good. Or I hate that smell. But the smell comes up as an issue with, uh, with Beta Bond. But I, once it's dry, it's fine. But it, it sticks really, really well. I found, I think, silicon glues on ball caps. The trouble is they don't truly, they dry, but they don't sort of set, if you know what I mean. So even though they're dry, you put the ball cap yeah. down on top. Because a ball cap has to be reasonably snug to work it's always under a bit more tension than you'd like, which means I've noticed you paint it and then, you know, come back an hour later and it's crept back about a quarter of an inch. The caps actually slipped and you've got this sort of line of skin showing through where yeah. you're like, well, that should be painted. And then, you know, touching that up. So, uh, and that doesn't happen with, um, with the acrylic glues. So weirdly. Um, and what I did was basically I, on the second day I did this, I just basically got his hair up out of the way and I painted beta bond like a, a 
quarter of an inch or half an inch all the way around the hairline, front and back, let it dry, then put the cap on. It was a, a vinyl cap, stretched that, pressed it down, and then, you know, you could lift it and move it around. But then once you're happy with the position, you could press it all down, and then I just melted the edge away with acetone, including around the ears. I didn't cut the ears with scissors. I used acetone, and um, it worked like an absolute charm. And it was pretty quick, actually, because you know the glue's already there so you don't have to lift the cap up yeah. go underneath and then hair dryer it which takes ages and then press it down because it just took too long i think it took about 20 minutes to get that cap down um and it looked good one of so the nice cool. things about about the the acetone solute I mean, it's it's the same with alcohol too but when you're melting away the edge you're basically giving another bit of of bonding yes of the cap to the of the cap to the skin mm. yeah you're not wrong because there were little bits on the forehead when we took it off that were not coming off with the remover and it was like oh that's the <laughs> the stuff that melted although weirdly these were these caps are from Kryolan, which i don't know if you guys get the ball caps from Kryolan. yeah they're they're pretty good they're pretty like good those. but these ones were the were, were pigmented though so they had color in them which definitely sped up the whole application process because i didn't need to go too crazy with the packs on over the top but what I noticed was that when you break it down with the acetone, you could see the pigment in it. It kind of came out, obviously, because it's in the cat plastic. And it mm-hmm. it kind of it, it felt like it was a little bit thicker on some edges, particularly the further in you went away from the edge, a little bit thicker because of that. It wasn't the end of the world, but I was but on the first day I did this, it's always the weird thing. You know, when you've got like a set of circumstances and you do it again the second time and all the little things that you notice the first time, you know, you make corrections for and they're sort of fixed. And, um, yeah, the second time went down like a charm and I didn't use any filler on the second one, you know, cause I'd figured out what was what and it was really, really nice. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, they still give me the willies having a ball cap job. I still get the fear, but, um, it's good to know. Stop laughing. It's filthy mind. <laughs> <laughs> the fear. I am what I am. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so, so that was fun. So how's your week been? What have you been up to? Have you been stuck to the workshop um, or stuck in the workshop? I should say. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still dealing with this stupid sinus infection, chest cold that wants to just hang on for dear life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you know that did a did a moulage training yesterday for some um, EMS doctors mm-hmm. uh, that we had a had a great time doing. We only had two patient two two victims <laughs> uh, yesterday. Uh, but one's a, a flight for life nurse and another's a, a paramedic with uh, Denver paramedics. So they, they loved it. And we, we got to do some pretty, pretty nice injuries to them that, that these EMS doctors have got to assess and try to figure out what's going on from very little information. Awesome stuff. And I love, and I love doing that too. We do that, you know, every, every few months, uh, through, Denver Health here in town. Awesome. That's really good stuff to do, I think. It's nice that stuff yeah, like that, you know, like our chat with Paul Savage, it's like it's nice when this side of things can be used in, you know, outside of the context of the screaming and madness of films. <laughs> you know, I mean, actually be used for something that really matters, <laughs> like training up emergency medical professionals. That's pretty good stuff, I think. Yeah, and it's, it's and it gives me a chance to to use my medical background uh, to do stuff because you know a few of the injuries that are described in the the ATLS uh, guidelines aren't usually from from just a, a straight 2D makeup standpoint. 
are kind of difficult mm -hmm. to simulate. Mm -hmm. But since we, we're doing 3D prosthetics, it's 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 a no-brainer. You know, like a, a displaced trachea or a distended jugular vein. Um, you know, some of the things that we have to have to be able to show for you know pneumothorax and some internal injuries that how they manifest themselves outwardly. Mm -hmm. We we can do, and the docs look at this and go, "Holy crap, that looks great!" And <laughs> it cool. really make really makes me feel good to know that that we've done something that they don't ordinarily get to see in a in a training situation. Yeah, well, I remember doing like a, a first aid at work course years ago, and it's like you know you you do the training and it's all good information and stuff. When it came to doing your assessment, you know you have to go through a several sort of situations that you're supposed to manage and all that kind of stuff and it's funny how like you know there was absolutely no attempt to replicate real injuries there was like a biomarker is like that's a ruptured varicose vein you know whatever and it's like okay you know and it kind of doesn't make any difference to the training but it would make a lot more difference if there was actual blood there and you know you've got a good performer and it's all you know done properly because it takes it to a whole another level where suddenly you don't want to get this stuff in your hands for real and it's exactly how it would be you know suddenly you're like oh god no oh, yeah and the victims get to the victims get to to play actor a little bit because you know they get to be belligerent and unresponsive and disoriented and have a good time with it so they get to <laughs> get to fuck with the doctors a little bit in the in the in the assessment you know so one of, one of our victims had a had a stab wound in the back that may or may not have punctured a lung. And, you know, it's, it's just setting up all these things that the doctors have got to, they're getting, yeah. they're getting graded by other doctors. So, so it's, it's kind of funny. We get to, to sit in on, on the, if, if we want, we can go into the rooms and just kind of be in the back and watch this, this thing unfold. And it's weird because, because yesterday this wasn't, these weren't, um, residents. These were doctors that are already done with residency, just kind of doing part of their ongoing training. And it's interesting to see somebody who's already practicing medicine mm. get nervous in front of another mm. doctor. Yeah, assessments. I can imagine that must be pretty... Because they obviously take what they do very seriously and then to be judged by someone that they presumably you know respect and knows the answer of the thing that they apparently should know too is quite quite a mm -hmm. profound experience i should think oh my gosh like uh i don't know sticking up a makeup in front of rick baker that's not scary but you know but it's um but that that's 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 the real deal though isn't it and you know <laughs> god bless the people that are doing that shit because that's the stuff that matters because when the shit hits the fan and you know somebody rolls up and knows what they're doing and they've done they put the hours in we're grateful for the fact that that's the case so um all power to you yeah, and it, it it makes me it makes me feel good too because we're we're doing things on on trauma nurses and paramedics who get mm -hmm. to see this stuff for real fairly frequently, and when they're watching us, you know, when we're applying things in in a place where they can actually see what we're doing, they go, mm -hmm. "Wow, that looks that looks really good." It's 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 a nice validation to. To hear that from somebody who gets to see the real thing and say that what we're doing. Yeah, it's great. And from what I know, because there's been a few, you know, I've had a few experiences with this kind of thing in the past. And 
it's like you know often the problems are that they need these things to look real they also need them to be repeatable so they may have three or four different sets of candidates going through the same situation so for someone like an uh, an active bleed for example they need to put direct pressure on you know so they're putting their hands on and pressing down on something you know the the wound needs to be able to withstand that pressure and repeated dressing so you know it needs to be a durable prosthetic but also needs to look real um but they often don't have a lot of time you know you won't get the three hour application time that you might get for a nice close-up camera thing so you know sometimes you don't have a lot of time or space or the people organizing it didn't realize this is what you needed because they don't do it do you know what i mean so you've got to sort of arrive completely yeah. ready to go yeah. you know with all the all, something that you can do pretty quick but it's going to look good and withstand all the punishment it's going to get right and i have to keep reminding myself that i'm not doing something that needs to be movie quality it needs to be good enough so that anybody who looks at it mm-hmm. knows what they're looking at Mm-hmm. so that they can assess it correctly. You know, it's not like we're trying to throw something into the mix that's purposely mm. trying to trip them up. Yes. You know, these are obvious signs that happen with specific types of trauma. And yes. And if they miss it because it doesn't look right, then we're not doing then we're not doing our job properly. Though doing though doing this is, has made me realize that you know, I because we keep doing a lot of the same same patient profiles over and over again, that rather than having individual pieces, each new pieces each time we do this, that I want to start creating some some of these same things in more durable materials, you know, like a, a slip over neck piece that that we can glue on that's showing distended veins and displaced trachea, some of the things that be much easier to pop on and off and and be able to keep mm, mm. where the the fine edges are not as necessary. you still make them with good edges but they don't have to be flawless edges yeah yeah that's really cool that's really cool yeah, yeah i remember um paul savage mentioning that it's like you know if someone's done a bad job of what's supposed to be a burn or something and it looks exactly like a bruise and someone's treating it like a bruise is like no it's supposed to be a burn it's like, but it doesn't look like a burn you know so you could actually mess up the assessment by sort of actively doing something <laughs> badly that looks yeah. like something else and if they have to keep reminding themselves i oh, know it's this rather than that then again you haven't done a great job of <laughs> representing the injury which has got to be medically sound <laughs> so it does need that medical in, you know input to yeah to do it which in your case is good because you're kind of a little wiser on that stuff yourself anyway and the and it's nice not being in it because the stress isn't there like oh if i'm i'm i don't i don't have to assess this on a on a real patient saying so, yeah, the it's i don't worry that anybody is going to die because i've missed something in in a test situation but in a real situation it's the reason i got out of medicine in the first place is i i just couldn't turn it off you know this the stress of of missing something was driving me nuts but you know you got to keep training constantly just to make sure that cuz in an in an er situation when it is real the clock's ticking and you can't you don't have the luxury of sitting back and going well, hmm, do I put in a chest tube or, you know, you can't second guess. You don't have time to, to second and third guess things. You've got to know what's going on and be able to react appropriately yeah. very quickly or 
Yeah, or sue you if you die. do the wrong thing. <laughs> it's a horrible situation to be in, isn't it? That, that too. And I've yeah, I've got a, a project that's still in court right now. That uh, when I can, I'll, I'll we can show some pictures and yeah. and talk about it. But a uh, pretty interesting case. That uh, I'll just leave it there because it's, it's an ongoing investigation thing. On an ongoing, wow. ongoing deal. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, well, that's cool. So, well, we can have a have a have a, have a brief chat about this week's uh, interview. Uh, this was done. Christ, this was earlier this year. This was IMAX London 2019, and it's a little bit echoey in the background. Although I did use the new mics because I got um, I got the uh, oh, what is it called the the Samsung CR whatever it was the one I got you the, the little travel mic thing. Do you remember what it's called? I can't remember. Anyway, that thing. Mm-hmm. And I bought um, I bought a Sennheiser of the same kind of ilk. Uh, and they're both basically nice um, dynamic mics that plugged into the Zoom. And so it meant we could have a conversation in a noisy place. And even though you can hear the noise in the background, it's 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 in the background. And the, the, the speaking voice is much clearer. So this was one of the first times I'd used it. And it's a, a chat with makeup artist Kate Benton, who's um, been doing it a fair while. She's yeah, wonderful. she's really, really, really nice, and she's, um, you know, she's she's got the makeup shop Pam in London, and uh, she is, yeah, she still works and still very passionate about education, as you'll hear. But basically, we were chatting about sort of makeup education, and this, like I say, we recorded it in April, May, whenever IMATS was this year, and I've been sitting on it for a while just because my year's been absolutely fucking crazy. Um, so, but it, it's come around. We had our chat last time about makeup education. It seems sort of poignant to put this in now to kind of back up what yeah saying. she she talked about a lot of the same stuff that you and i just mm. talked about which is nice it means it it's true <laughs> or it's you know it's a kind of it, it yeah. was nice to hear uh you know someone who who someone who had actually had an apprenticeship as well because she went through the bbc apprenticeship scheme i'll have to put in my um i've got a leaflet i took a picture of it and when i was a kid and when i was about 14 15 um i put in a uh, an application for one of those and they sent me back back a bunch of leaflets the bbc did and one of them was makeup artist and i've still got it um and it's just like the makeup artist apprenticeship leaflet and it explains what's going to be required of you so the that's that's a little piece of history um but i'll um yeah it's it's basically a nice nice chat about makeup and she just you know explains her side of things and some very interesting insights which i felt validated a bit more that she sort of confirmed some of the opinions we'd had some people of whom didn't like but i'm like well i'm not trying to be mean it's more a lot of that stuff i was saying you know i think was to support the poor tutors who you know i have a lot of time and respect for who are, who are being pushed around by a system that they don't really get to control much so um i still maintain where we went was the right thing to discuss but there we go yeah well she talks about set life also that uh had some made some really really strong points so it's i think it's to be a yeah. good listen because that's the thing it's, it's like you know when you do your makeup training and you learn your stuff and, and you go like, you care about the makeup your people you're with care about the makeup and then you get on set and then you suddenly realize the makeup is like one of the the least considered things there there's so many other big things going on um even when makeup is such a big part of the whole look of the yeah of the you film. think you'd have some kind of like status but you absolutely don't <laughs> um nope you know nope. so that well that nope. was that, that was an interesting interesting talk and there's things like you know not 
when you've got to do checks and stuff and how to do that because again people just assume that if, the, if you don't make up that, that people will gladly sit back and wait for you to do your checks but often that is not the case you know unless it's a principle even then you know it's nice it's noticeable when i've done like you know background stuff you do you go you checks do what you have to do but if you're doing like a principle you know if it's nice if they're on side and we're like no let them do my checks you know what i mean it's kind of on your side of it you're like i can't believe you have to sort of fight to defend your right to do checks but i appreciate there's a lot of demands on the time and they've got to get the shot and there's a lot of pressure on the people running the set and it happens at every level of the game you know, mm. it was stuff that Rick Baker was talking about with Joe Rogan. You know, even even Rick Baker got thrown under the bus on occasion. Yeah. So what chance do the rest of us like, have? <laughs> really? That's mere mortals. It, it's, That's it's crazy. It's, 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 it, <laughs> they, they will, yeah, production take yeah. place. Um, it's crazy. Time. It's, it's unreal. But anyway... That is the, the the tricky thing. Make, making making stuff like this is is a big deal. And there's lots of concerns. Obviously, there's lots of pressures that you know the production are worried about that I'm not privy to. So uh, I can't really sit there and demand. Oh, make up yes, me listen to it. But um, you do need to fight our corner, and often we're not the most uh, vocal to defend it as well. So anyway, here is uh, our chat. We'll be back uh, right after. <laughs> I'm here with Kate, Kate Benson. You want to tell me a little bit about yourself for, for, for everyone, just so we can know where you're from? Absolutely. So I've been doing the job for too long, certainly over 30 years. Um, and I started my career, I was very lucky. It was in the days when you could get uh, an apprenticeship at the BBC. That was a two-year programme, three months in the school. Uh, and a school that was actually incredibly tough. Jenny Sherker was our examiner. And uh, they would throw people out if you didn't, if they, if you did your tests at the end of each month, and they didn't like what they saw, or they felt there was a personality problem, or a lateness problem, or any number of things, they would throw you out. And after that, you were then on probation for the rest of the two years, uh, working what was called in brackets on shows, um, where you were there to learn, to watch, to maybe join in, do do sort of smaller members of cast or you know, do extras or whatever. But it was a great way to, to um, learn. I was very privileged and very lucky. Um, and I realise it's much, much harder now. Yeah. And I do, I feel quite passionate, Stuart, about trading in this country because we have got some of the best makeup artists in the world. I, I really do think we have, and we have a great thriving industry. And yet somehow we're missing a trick with how we, and honesty, perhaps, with the young people that want to come in and how we get them to, to the end result. So I'm not quite sure what the answer is. I can see the things that are going wrong, and I try to do what I can to put that right, but mm. there is still flaws in the system, I think. I think one of the problems is the amount of um, attention on um, producing things that look striking because of things like Instagram and stuff I'll give you an, and, and shows like Face Off and stuff where it, it creates a, a buzz to um, an audience that previously would never have considered it so it kind of has this sort of uh, the shape of something desirable that isn't really necessarily getting to the nuts and bolts of what makes that happen I'll give you an example I won't name the shop but I was in, uh, in LA um, with a friend and we were we overheard someone bring in her daughter and they're saying oh she really likes face off and she thinks it was like fun what kit would we need and the guy was just like naturally reading off all the things that you would necessarily need i suppose but the idea was that they would go in and just wholesale buy a bunch of stuff and then like start doing it and it's like that wasn't something that ever happened 20 30 years ago so and there's nothing wrong with it. i'm not criticizing that i'm just saying 
honestly I don't think if she just suddenly picked it up as a thing oh I like this I want this mummy let me do it that's not a realistic starting point because most of the people that dig it did so in small amounts and lent toward and they lean in from an early age and I think a lot of that hard stuff isn't um, it's not a a spectator sport it doesn't look particularly good Um, but it matters to people that do it and I have a and I'm sure you understand it you have a hard time getting people to grasp the nettle and really care about the difficult stuff because that's actually the job that's the good bit and it's not it's not instantaneous it's not sexy it's not quick and it's really interesting about Face Off because I was involved with the early auditions and they took most of their um pool of resource, most of their pool of makeup artists that came to those editions, their criteria for selecting them, and it absolutely infuriated me, their criteria was their Instagram following. So basically the people that came for the early auditions were 95% Instagram stars. I've got nothing against having a healthy mix, but they hadn't been round to any of the makeup colleges to get people... They had maybe one... I think they had one person from a makeup college um, I knew of. The rest of the people were there simply because of the amount of Instagram following they had. Right. And that's limiting yeah, and unrealistic. So they're using the fact that they have a following themselves to boost the show's ratings and it's not about the makeup. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's a really a bit cynical, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's a cynical way of getting quick quick fix for them and actually you're throwing people into a world. And to be honest, a lot of the guys were quite arrogant mm. when, they, when they came in because they have got these massive followings. And actually, realistically, are you really going to want to come out and dirty down people at 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning? Because that's not the world you're kind of used to. And I think it is nice, as you say. Things have moved on, and we do need that side of the industry. But it's gone too far the other way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So um, I do go around to colleges when I'm not filming, and I do try and... um, I, I, I try and... I mean, I've got children who are both in the industry, but thank God not in makeup. Uh, one's an actor, and one's a script supervisor. But I do try and incentivize students about how if you are passionate about this industry and you do want to um, get into it, there are ways you can do it. And it doesn't matter if you're a private course or if you're a college course. If you really want to do it, there are ways you've just got to be proactive and you you do have to do things like you do have to research the we have brilliant makeup artists in this country. Really brilliant, top of their game. Research them, look at what they do, join the union, start getting really be a, it's a craft we should be so proud of it and I think we really do need to get this they should know about camera lenses and what it means and when you should and we shouldn't be stupid we should be seen to be an intelligent craft that know what we're talking about and we're not giving that part of our of our, of our love for the industry we're not managing to get that over to the majority of people it's too instantaneous and it's a craft and there's so many different parts of it you know, it is about knowing onset etiquette. It's about knowing about camera lenses, about sound, about what you know, how a breakdown of a script. There's so many parts of it that we need to know about. Yeah, yeah. It's the whole crew, isn't it? Because it's the whole crew. It's a yeah. way of life, yeah. and it's really interesting. I mean, I'm on a, a particularly tough show at the moment. This period, there's lots of prosthetics, there's lots of wigs, there's very, very extremely late casting, um, high expectations, reasonably low budgets, TV. Um, and we've got two skill set as a, a training apprenticeship, really, I suppose, for students who've been through makeup schools. We've got two skill set trainees, um, both who are absolutely brilliant, 
come from very different worlds, uh, and one of them has just resigned um, this morning, actually. Very brilliant, brilliant girl, and, and she's come from uh, HR before. She's come from a different industry, and she just said she had no idea this industry was this demanding and she just doesn't feel that it's right for her and I respect her decision yeah. we'll miss her dearly but I think that is part of the problem is that people don't have a realistic idea of what it's like yeah it's interesting you say that because there are people that like when they come here and they chat to me and they'll ask something you can tell by the way they're asking they're expecting my experience of being on set or in a workshop to be like this like lovely privileged position it's like no on set what the lowest of the low yeah. no one's going to make decisions around what scenes they shoot based on your makeup you know the classic one is always you know you apply a really complicated prosthetic around the lips and it looked great when they left the trailer and then they just don't shoot it until last thing and then they're moaning about the close-up and it's like well because they're not going to take into consideration yet and we Absolutely. actually figure quite low in very low in the uh, in the scheme of things and you know what you're prosthetic so you're higher than people like me because there is a sort of hair is at the bottom makeup's just above and prosthetics is above that and, and that's a really brutal way of saying it but that's basically what it is and talking about what you're saying just then we had a prosthetic yesterday on an actor and the actor who was cast um, was had to pull out due to illness and we had to the prosthetics designer had to um, remodel the prosthetic in four or five days, having cast and modelled one actor, get to redo it, and it meant his whole mouth was sealed. Um, and they called the uh, Jason in for to start the prosthetic at 10:30 to be ready for 12. And I said, "You do understand that if he's on set for 12, he can't eat, he can't drink. There's limitations." So if you don't mean he's going to be on set for 12, if you're talking one or two or three or four, please postpone it. It's not a long application. It's an hour and a half. Yeah. So we can, we've got a bit of you know leeway. Uh, he eventually got on set at five past five. And they gave me a very hard time about saying that he should have lunch first and as much as free time as he could. Um, and they were like, well, we didn't know that uh, this was going to go over his mouth. I was like, well, actually, you did. You, you've seen the pictures, you know exactly what's involved. It's a mouth prosthetic, so you know whose mouth is. Um, and I think you wouldn't... It's a difficult thing, isn't it? We, we have to stand up for ourselves. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can be seen to be aggressive, maybe. or But actually what you're trying to do is protect your actor, protect your craft, protect all the hard work that everybody's done to make sure that when it does appear on screen, it looks the best it can. Yeah, because when you've got, like you say, you're looking out, you've got these interests and concerns, because you know what's going to happen, because this isn't the first time you've had a crew around a thing you've made. Yeah. Uh, but it may be the first time that that crew's seen a bit of rubber, you know? So yeah. it's like, mm, you don't want to... It's a hard one, and that's not something a lot of people are good at, especially, I think, with a creative field. It's like a lot of people can do things and they don't want to be bossy but at the same time sometimes you need to put your foot down and go no this has to be the case and that's not necessarily you at taught. least raise the concern you have to go back to your first your second say I get it you need to have people ready but this is a special case this is a prosthetic that's going to be very limiting for him yeah. realistically if you need to, us to do the hurry up we will but you're going to have to block it first there's a big difference between being ready on set at 12 and being ready on set at 5 yeah. 5 hours for somebody to be sitting there and I think it's, you do have to have, I suppose it's a confidence um, and I think a knowledge, I suppose, maybe a bit of experience. But we, we need to adequately portray that to the young people coming in. Yeah. 
what do you think I mean it'll be we were speaking a little earlier about um, you know difference between colleges and, and private courses because my my concern is if it's a private course they can take anyone so there's no sort of like barrier to entry other than can you afford it and you know <laughs> um, which isn't great um, and, and other things like colleges where you know you pay a lot of money to go on a course because obviously in the UK anyway tuition fees are, are an issue when I went to college Nine, in 1990, uh, I got a grant. Oh, wow. I didn't have to pay for it because it, the government paid for my trade because my parents didn't earn enough, so it was one of those things. I think I was one of the last generations to get that benefit. And now it's like they, they leave college with huge amounts of debt. It's completely swung the other way. Whereas in places like Germany, they have fantastic training um, and it's government-funded, but the criteria to get in, there's very long sorting processes and, and exams and tests and they filter out the people that aren't suitable which is almost an offensive thing to say over here it's like what well, there are people who aren't suitable you know we get people who are offended because they're not good enough or they're not suited to it and it's like well just because you want to do something doesn't mean you're cut out for it because we know where you're going to be going with this and let me tell you if you're going to fall apart because someone shouted at you you're not going to be any good yeah. on set yeah and that's not saying we need to be mean to people but do you know what I mean? So it's, I, it's a bit of a weird one. Like you say, there aren't necessarily any answers. It's just making people aware rather than just think, oh, I paid the training. I paid for my training, so I'll leave here being able to do it. And that's not the same thing. I, I think, actually, we're doing our, our young people a disservice because there's perhaps more honesty earlier on in places like Germany. And in mm. fact, a friend of mine, Shauna, teaches only now in a college in Austria. I think it's... It might be Germany, and wherever it is, the, she says there's only eight to ten students. They are super, super keen on it, informed, well-read, um, and she said they're all absolute stars, and it's a pleasure to teach them. And that's not to say you don't get brilliant students in England. I just think there's too many people being sold a lie, and it's either about fulfilling people sitting in the chairs, bums on chairs, for some colleges or it's money and it, I think it's a bit cynical and I feel as a parent <laughs> it, it upsets me when I, I see this exploitation and in fact I've been to open days at colleges where a parent in particular came up to me and said will my child get a certificate at the end of it will, will, will that mean that and I thought well they might but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean zilch yeah. um, and I think people in the industry know the good colleges they know the good courses they know, you, you know how to advise people how to get in there, but it's just generally not, it's dishonest, I think, what's going on. And I, your point about Germany, I think, is really valid. You either lie to people before they go in, you, you know, you either tell the truth to people before they go in, saying it's a limited market and there's very few good courses, or you let them go through all that pain, and then they'll end up working on a beauty counter. Somewhere. And we are actually training for places like Mac and all mm. sorts of things, aren't we? Which is fine if you want to do that and you know that's Absolutely. what you're going to. But, but be honest yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if, if someone's not suited or there isn't the industry for it, it's a tough one. It's a very tough one. And it's not the kind of thing we're used to having those kinds of conversations now. Like, we've kind of sugarcoated a lot of things in life. Yeah. And which... people expect it. They expect that they... And I, th I think it must be really, really hard. If you've gone to a college, you've done a three-year course, you've worked your ass off... And you've done, you've maybe come out with a first, just to say, say you've gone and done three of course, and you think the world is going to be at your feet because you've done these amazing makeups, you've done all this, and then the reality when you leave of it must be a hell of a shock. You've got a lot of debt maybe you're carrying because you're paying for it, and then you've got, you, the door should be open for you because you're so 
talented with your artwork. And the reality of it is, is that when you leave, people aren't really interested in your makeup skills on the whole. It's your people skills. It's about how well you adapt to being in a, 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 on a makeup bus and you know just the practicals of life and how driven you are mm. to get your, to- your get your foot in the door. Mm. It's an interesting thing about. I spoke to um, Rick from Bolton, and, and and they do a lot of processes. They do a lot of model making and visual effects. And they're a bit more integrated with that kind of stuff, um, and it's interesting to see how things break down, like in the classroom. Like you still tend to get a lot of boys doing the prosthetic stuff, although it has changed a lot. I've noticed over the years a lot more girls doing the prosthetic stuff, but it's that it's that weird, you know, that that thing about. Uh, an, an example is like a lot of the people that do makeup I've noticed on courses are girls and so they are familiar with how much makeup costs and they know how to use it because they themselves buy it and then they'll work for a production company that may be run by men who don't buy makeup and then so they don't know how much they know lenses cost money and they know that because they're, they're geeky guys uh, but they don't know about makeup and then there, there's a sort of a pressure which they kind of get away with because they're perhaps dealing with a group of women or younger younger women who aren't used to that confrontation and it's it's quite not bullying in a way but it's almost a kind of an inbuilt system of uh, an imbalance which means that they always get kind of the bad end of the deal with that or that you know they don't want to say how much it's going to cost to buy stuff or they end up they subsidise it. They subsidise yeah, it. Totally. Just, which you wouldn't expect someone buying lenses for cameras to do that or and they wouldn't. or kit because that's a very bulky thing. And that, that's something that needs to be addressed as well. I, 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 there's so many things that need to be addressed. But I mean, I think if you look at how makeup people, not prosthetics maybe, makeup people approach checks on set in a very, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, just got to go in. It's a very apologetic Yes. Kind of slightly reticent. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really sorry. I just need to. I like just you're holding to, stuff yeah. up. Yeah. Um, I, and we're constantly told that we're holding things up. It's really irritating. Yeah. Um, and yet, would you ever see a spark apologising for going in? It's a completely different world. It's like, get out of the way. We need to come in with this big manly light. And I think there's two things that we do wrong. One, we're very girly about how we approach it. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself because that's the way I was trained of I'm so sorry, I've just got to go in and do this and I'll just sneak in, you won't even know I'm there. Um, that, that's the one thing we do. And secondly, we have to know what we're talking about. Do not undermine our department by going in to do checks when it's not necessary. I mean, it makes us look so stupid. Hordes of makeup girls going in to check people that have been checked and it's a wide shot and they're not going to be seen. So on the one hand, have the knowledge of knowing that when you do go in, your fellow professionals respect you because they know that you would only go in because there is a big problem. That's the first thing. And secondly, you then kind of hopefully earn the respect mm. that you're entitled to. Yeah. You keep your eye on it, but you don't need to interfere and intervene. And sometimes you have to let things go if it's in the moment or it's a child. Or, you know, you just have to weigh it up and then flag it up afterwards to the director or the script supervisor. I mean, it's, it's about using your head. But also knowing, knowing yeah. it's a, you know, learning. It's a craft. It's a yes. craft. Yeah, and you've got to learn, earn your stripes in that situation, like you say, because you can learn makeup skills and do a great Marcel way, whatever, and then suddenly you're on a set and it's like, you know, most you of what you're doing isn't makeup. Yeah. It's just... Being yeah. in the right place at the right time. Being in the right place at the right time. And, and, and having the confidence to know that even though a crew is standing there sort of drumming their fingers waiting while you put something right, a bit of wig lace or a bit of prosthetic that's gone wrong or a bit of shine or something, that you have an absolute right to do that yes. if it needs to be done. 
It doesn't matter how much they're shouting at you or how much they're drumming That's at their you. That's ignorance, yeah. That's, they don't know, but yeah. your actor understands, yes. your director will understand, but only do that when you know it has to be done. That's, that. Yeah, that's interesting you say that, because it's like one of the things I think with prosthetics is often the makeups are longer applications. We start early. So sometimes for longer shows, you get a nice little bond with a, especially if you're doing a principal, and you get kind of treated completely differently. Totally. And, you know, where you're like, that they will initiate and make it okay to do a check because they want to look good. Um, whereas if you're doing it, like, you know, for crowd stuff, it's that thing of like, like you say, you're almost apologetic for doing oh. what you're paid to do. And it's, it's like, I know this needs looking at or checking. You know, otherwise, why am I here? What's the point? Absolutely. Uh, and and it, it, it does... I watch makeup people go in and it is usually a very humble, almost doffy cap. So sorry. Yeah. How do you fix that? I guess we just need to train people to to be more um, assertive. Well, that just sounds so, so weak to say, oh, just be more assertive. But I, I, we need to, I don't know, build that into schooling and generally, I think. I think that's it. And I, I think... It's a, it's a two-pronged problem because I think, on the one hand, you've got people going in... I've got two, two gripes in mind. People going in when they don't need to go in. And it happens particularly on big crowd days where people feel, well, I've got to be keen and a bit of rushing, and you get 20 or 30 makeup people checking that people have been checked and it's background and they're not going to be seen. Uncertainly, sometimes you do need to go in, but it's knowing when to go in and having that confidence to say, oh, they don't need it for this one. It doesn't matter if my designer's standing there. She doesn't, she knows, she yeah. may respect me even more for not joining the hordes going in. So it's a two-pronged attack, I think, of having the confidence to know when to go in and when not to go in, maybe. And then I think, generally speaking, maybe the people that come through, the really good people, are getting a little bit more confident, a little bit more. I think we've got, I think the union helps. I think we've got a little bit stronger about our hours, about our conditions, about our pay. Um, I can only hope. Yeah. And I try and do my little bit to train. I usually, we quite often have to get skill set trainees now because they are subsidised by um, the industry. I do. I try and do my little bit to. Exp- teach them things and bring them round to meet the DOP, take them down to the dip so that they understand what happens to I, t- I try and do apprenticeship with the skill set people I have Amazing, that's a brilliant idea I think that's the thing, and things like this as well just talking about it and telling people look, this is what we've noticed that's missing and this is what yeah. you're going to be facing yeah. and trying to pair those up Yeah, and I think I know I am part of PAN um, and I don't want to push that, but I genuinely, honestly, do try and do a tip every Tuesday it's not always about selling stuff it's sometimes just about set life and what and it's only one minute it's just about what is useful for a new person coming out in the industry it might be about joining the union it might be about health and safety I mean we did a night shoot last last week where the cherry picker fell over in the middle of the night and nearly killed two of the makeup department that close um, and it's about education it's about knowing what to wear, for instance, about how you approach things, about set life, what a first AD is, what a second AD is, what their jobs are, you know, all of those things. I try and convey that through Pam, maybe as a medium. Um, Fantastic. I'm trying. Yeah. Well, brilliant. I'll put some links on the, uh, the show you. notes for this to the, to the store. Thank and, you. And uh, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. It's lovely to chat to you, Stuart. Thank you.
So there we go. So um, if you have any questions, you want to get in touch with us, please email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Or you can, yep, get us on Instagram. Um, I think our Facebook page is still active, though I'm I'm not doing Facebook anymore. No, I'm still looking at that, so that's fine. Um, uh, and then we got these badges. We got some really cool battles with some rubber badges in. Oh, they look great. Very, very cool. Like, like steel stamped. They're not, they're not. Plastic-y. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I think I'm going to try to post the video you sent me on, on Instagram. Okay, so that'd be cool. And then I've got to... So people can see. Yeah, I've still got to get these images done because I was waiting on those badges to come in so I could take pictures of them and then send it to the lady that's doing the website and then get that up and running with the T-shirts and the aprons and the rest of it. So yada, yada, yada. But it's been like, you know, <laughs> every day I'm getting like messages from three or four different parts of my life all asking, how's this going? And I'm like, I'm trying to do everything at once <laughs> while waiting on other bits and bobs, <laughs> while sculpting something, whilst doing this, whilst doing that, whilst lecturing and blah 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 and being on set and anyway it's, it'll get there it's just, I guess this is what being busy feels like and it's I'd rather be busy than you know twiddling my thumbs wondering what to do with myself so I'm not it's tough to be an adult it is it really is and I'm as you say that I'm looking over at the pile of paperwork I've got to do before the end of December for my accounts which I'm not looking forward to but once I start it'll be fine it's just the thought of starting that I object to Anyway, I'm done. I'm going to go and uh, watch uh, another episode of Mr. Robot. Are you watching that on Netflix? Or I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard it's great. Fuck, it's really good. It's really good. I really, really, really like it. I'm only about halfway through the first season. But Remy Malik is fucking outstanding. I hadn't really seen anything he was in. Um, yeah. I watched Bohemian Rhapsody on a plane. Fucking bawled my eyes out because it was amazing <laughs> i absolutely loved it uh, my kids are like look at me like what the fuck's wrong with you I'm like, <laughs> because i remember this stuff happening i didn't realize this was and i'm sure for queen purists they'll be like well we all think you'll find he was and then it's all been sanitized and i get that but it was just amazing seeing the whole you know the the the, the whole thing with um live aid and it was like i remember that happening but i was like 10 12 my you know i had up my, my head up was ass and i was climbing trees and being a kid, I didn't really understand any of this stuff, but I was aware of it going on. And so to sort of have seen, you know, what this meant and what happened and the significance of it all, I was quite moved by it all, really. And it was just like, yeah. holy shit, I like Queen more now. <laughs> you know, so, those were That happened during my L.A. days. Yeah. So even then it was – and that was before the internet. So that was quite a profound thing that I think the whole world was kind of – looking at that what a lineup that was yeah when well when mtv still showed music videos mm-hmm. yeah and that spawned all kinds of things like the thriller video oh my gosh all right dude well i'm gonna get going um i'll edit this up and uh hopefully get this out before the end of the weekend great well let's let's we'll chat in the next day or so yes sir have a good weekend and enjoy yourself take care thanks see you guys cheers mate take care bye-bye all right bye